Good morning. All right. Well, it's great to be together today. Uh, excited this week of Thanksgiving that we have coming up. Um, I want to share today, uh, we're going to continue talking uh, some in our series in James, and I'm going to be sharing out of James 2 today. Um, and, and some of it I feel really connected in kind of a continuation of where we left off our service last week. And um, also, as I've been just chewing on this passage and preparing this passage for this week, um, I really just have such a sense of I want to try to connect this to um, part of our identity as a family, part of our identity as a community. So I'm hoping that this has application for us as individuals, and it also has application for us uh, in understanding our community identity, our church, some of our church identity. Uh, so the message, uh, again, we're going to jump into James chapter two today. And one of the things that um, I love about the Lord is that as he speaks to us, he gives us both this, I, I want us to hear this morning, this idea that God is for us. God is for you. God is for each of us. And as we look at the, this first verse in just a minute in James one, um, we're going to explore some of the character and nature of God not being partial or not showing favoritism. And, you know, if you've read the book of James, um, I view James as like this blunt doctor who tells you kind of the facts. Uh, a couple years ago, I went to the doctor for a checkup, just a normal checkup, and the doctor told me that I was portly. And... Um, I made the mistake of telling Sarah what the doctor said. I should have just kept that to myself. Yeah, the doctor's, uh, it was fine. The blood work's fine. Everything's fine. But no, I told Sarah that the doctor said that I was portly. And then she then got, has since for years now been reminding me, remember what the doctor said. Are you, should you eat that? You should be exercising. Uh, and so obviously I'm thankful for the doctor being very blunt uh, him addressing something, right? He's like, hey, the blood work looks good. This looks good, but you're a little portly. Okay, good to know. I feel like when I read James, I feel that way. James is like, man, uh, and you'll see it as we jump here into verse one of chapter two, uh, but he's, he's calling and he's speaking and he's written this letter, these words to these followers of Jesus, and he's reminding them of things and he's reminding them of the words of Jesus. And at times those are massively encouraging, like, yeah, that's right. And other times they're like, hey, you're portly. So maybe as we read in James 2 this morning, um, you'll receive it with that heart because that's how I, um, that was how the Lord was speaking to me as we jump into this. So last week we, we ended our time. And Sarah spoke about the tongue last week, and we spent time singing blessing over people. We, we sang blessing over one another. We asked, uh, we challenged one another to sing blessing over people we know, people in our community, um, people not in our community. We looked at the flags. I remember speaking blessing over different nations. It was a time for us to speak blessing and as we move into this James 2, I, I feel like this idea of blessing, when we speak blessing, when we speak a blessing over someone, when we speak a blessing over a nation, we speak a blessing over a people, we acknowledge and honor and recognize and declare value. 
Like, Lord, bless them. You want to pour out. You are for them. You are for them. That song we sang, and you've heard the blessing. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. I love, I love that part of the song because I feel like it's this declaration that the Lord is for you. The declaration that the Lord is for me. The Lord is for us. The Lord is for us. And in James chapter 2, I'm going to read this first verse. And it's going to come across first as this doctor saying I'm portly. But I want us to look at this. We're going to read um, our passage today is James 1 through 13. But I'm just going to start in verse 1. James says this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And I put up three different translations there just to get a feel for how this reads in others. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And the passion reads this way. My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say that we have faith in him and yet we favor one group of people above another? So this is the opening sentence to this chapter two through one through 13. And what's going to happen in the following verses is James is going to unpack this a little bit. He's going to unpack this statement and give them examples. He's going to give them examples that happen potentially in their worship, in their congregation, in their assembly. He's going to give them um, application. He's going to talk about the character and nature of God. And then he's going to call people to love and he's going to call people to mercy. So we're going to um, slowly kind of work through this passage, but I wanted to set it up this way. And I was thinking this morning, um, when, I, when I read that and I think about this concept or this idea of favoritism, um, I, I feel two different ways. At times, um, I feel like, man, I'm not God's favorite. I'm not in a place or position or maybe people have told me, or maybe I'm in a group of people where I'm not favored. And so one of the things I'm hoping the Lord speaks to us this morning is that he declares his favor over each one of us. And the second thing I'm hoping the Lord speaks to us this morning and challenges us with, and he's been challenging me with, is this call to the followers of Jesus that they're meant to be different. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, or those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, he's, he's saying, this glorious Jesus that we follow, this glorious faith that we're participating in, this glory that we're called to participate in, and as followers of Jesus, it shouldn't have partiality or favoritism in it. And in fact, I wonder if he's saying, Man, the, the glory of the followers of Jesus is tainted. It's marred. It's marked up. It's misunderstood. It's polluted when you walk in favoritism. So I want us to, to delve into this a little bit. This word here in the NIV, this word favoritism, um, Douglas Moo wrote a, a commentary on the book of James, and he describes the Greek word here for favoritism as um, receiving, uh, he translated, he says this, he says, the NIV's favoritism comes from the Greek word meaning literally receiving the face. Corky, I think I have a slide on, there it is. Um, so he'd said this, 
this word, this favoritism comes from the concept of receiving the face. And essentially what he's meaning by that is he's saying it's to make judgments about people based on external appearance. That's that idea of receiving the face. So I receive someone based upon what they look like, period, external appearance. He also unpacks this idea that this Greek word is plural in nature. It's like acts of favoritism. So he challenges us that this prohibition from favoritism has a wide-ranging application. We're not to make decisions about people based on an external factor, whether it's dress, color of skin, general physical appearance. In fact, James wrote this to a very Jewish audience who would have had a lot of the Old Testament um, passages in their heart and understanding God being a judge of the heart, not of the outside character. God not being someone who judges partially, but is impartial. The New American Standard translates it this way. Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And I think if we're all honest and as we think and we process, at times we've been... Uh, we've experienced partiality. We've, been, we've experienced not being in the favored group, treated differently, treated partially. And I think at times, if we're honest, we've, we've participated in favoritism or partiality. And so James is trying to remind them, he's writing this, probably one of the earliest letters written uh, in the New Testament after Jesus. And uh, Sarah's mentioned in the past that a lot of what's in James is reflected in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a a lot of parallels. So I want to consider us, as we consider this passage, we're going to keep working through James today, um, but ask the Lord to speak to us. And there's, there's three things I'm hoping we hear today. One is we understand more about the character and nature of God. Second, we understand more about our calling to love. And third, we understand the mercy that we live under and the mercy that we're called to walk in. Amen. So James is writing to this audience, this Jewish audience, and he's, uh, he must have in mind some of these scriptures. And I, I was thinking of three passages that I just want to hit quickly that a Jewish reader would have been familiar with when they think about the character and nature of God. One is out of Deuteronomy 10. And this is after the 10 commandments have been given. And it says this, to the Lord, your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Interesting in this passage that that there's this declaration about this this nation of Israel being um, 
called and chosen. And in that same concept, it's like, oh man, they're special. They're called and chosen. And then God says, remember, I'm not partial. I'm the God of gods, the Lord of lords, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. Yes, I've called you, but remember my character and my nature. Another passage they might have been familiar with in Leviticus 19, it says this in verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Another story I wonder if they would think about when they're hearing this letter is in Joshua 5. You have the people of Israel, and they're about to go in and inherit their promise. They're moving into the promised land that the Lord's given to them. And it says in Joshua 5, verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and said to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord have for his servant? So you get these threads and these themes and you get this understanding of a God who's not partial, who doesn't show favoritism. And this extends into Matthew, into the New Testament. We hear the words of both Jesus as well as the, uh, the different leaders of the early church. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about causing the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sending rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says it here. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. So he's saying that, how do you reflect the character and nature of God? You love your enemies. He caught that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, of your, as your heavenly father is perfect. We're getting this picture of this perfect father, this perfect father who even with us, while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. This perfect father who loves us. He's not partial. He's not favorite. In Romans 2, Paul says, God, in verse 11, God does not show favoritism. And he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. In Acts 10, when, when Peter goes to Cornelius and starts preaching, he says this, and Cornelius is, is a Gentile. Not, not, um, it was, it was a, a dramatic experience, and he says this, I now re realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So we have all of these different pictures and these different ideas. And, and, I, and I think James must be reflecting this because I don't know about you, but it's human, I think it's human nature to begin showing partiality, to begin showing favoritism, to begin showing who's in and who's out. And James starts challenging that. And he starts challenging it in their actual practices. So we're going to read here in just a minute where he goes next, where James takes it next. 
Uh, but before I do, I wanted to remind us in Acts 15, one of the questions and one of the challenges for the early church was, Jesus has come, Jesus has come for the Gentiles. How do their church practices work themselves out? Do they act like Jews? Or what do they act like? How do, do, they, do they take the Jewish law? Do they not take the Jewish law? What are the customs that they now adhere to? What are the customs that they're supposed to follow? One of those customs of the time was circumcision and following the Jewish law. And there's a bit of an argument, a conflict. How do we do this? And in Acts 15, it's recorded this story. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips, my lips, the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart, Again, God who knows the heart, he doesn't judge from external appearance, receiving the face, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to you. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now, why? Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So they had this revelation of, hey, our practices need to follow the character of God. Our practices need to follow the nature of God. The pr our practices need to follow the actions of God. So then when we read in James 2, and I want to uh, read now, uh, starting in verse two, James gives an example of that. And he goes on from verse one, where he talks about favoritism. And he says in James two, verse two, um, he says this, suppose, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And if you could just leave that slide up for now, Quirky, thanks. Um, different, different translations will translate discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts in different ways. You'll hear in different translations, um, instead of discrimination, you'll hear gross prejudice, making distinctions among yourselves segregating God's children. Under the evil thoughts, you'll hear things like evil standards of judgment. Judgments are guided by evil motives, judges who can't be trusted. In this passage, it's interesting that he, he talks about how we show special attention, how we speak to people, and how we treat people differently. And then it's interesting in verse 4, he talks about thoughts. And if you read through this whole passage, verses 1 through 13, James is really addressing three areas for us to think about, three areas for us to consider. How do we think about others? How do we speak about others? And how do we act towards others? Those three areas you're going to find unpacked. And you see here in verse 
uh, this passage, you see that emerging. And towards the end, he talks about speaking and acting. But here he talks about our thoughts and our thinking. Reminds me of in Romans 12, where, where Paul challenges believers to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Man, we need our minds renewed. Because there's ways of thinking in culture. There's ways of thinking for these people at this time when the rich person comes in and the poor person comes in. I don't know about you, but it's easy for us to look at that and kind of look at it on its surface and be like, okay, yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. That's so judgmental. But I probably would. And I probably do in different ways. David Guzik describes three issues that we can have as followers of Jesus. Three things that we can do that are similar here. One is we can care more for outward appearance than for the heart. Second, we can misunderstand who is important and blessed of God. And thirdly, we can reveal a selfish attitude in us. Like, what can this rich person do for me? Like, oh, they're showing up, man. I bet there's, maybe there's something in this for me. Mistakes that we can make. I was listening to another uh, preacher this week talk about this passage. And he asked this question. He said, are we really different as followers of Jesus from how the rest of the world responds? How are we different? Are we really different? And I think James gives us this one example of, of the poor and the rich, but I think this could be applied in lots of different ways, ways in which we show partiality to people. And think about, think about it this way. Who does God favor? Who does God look with favor upon? And we can start thinking, oh, no, God doesn't favor them. Here's the reasons why God doesn't favor them. God doesn't favor them. And all of a sudden, I start realizing, oh, maybe I don't discriminate between rich and poor, but maybe I discriminate between ethnicity. Maybe I discriminate on gender. Maybe I discriminate in sexuality. Maybe I dis discriminate in different ways. How do I discriminate? Corky likes to tell the story. One of his favorite movies was Sister Act way back in the way that shows you how old he is. So I never saw it because it's such an old, old, old movie. Um, but I guess there's this scene in the movie where a bunch of nuns run into a bar and I don't even remember the context because it's just such an old movie. Anyway, Corky always quoted this quote. He's like, if this, the, the, one of the guys is drinking at the bar and says, man, if this is going to turn into a nun bar, I'm out of here. He didn't want to be, uh, in a nun bar. I don't know how that relates, but I just thought it was a fun story. Have you ever been the victim of favoritism or discrimination? I remember working in an environment um, where I felt like there was probably some religious discrimination. There was a ceiling to who could be in upper management in this company based upon what religion you belong to. That didn't feel great. That didn't feel awesome. I think maybe at times in the culture we live in, we can, we can feel that way. 
I remember somebody telling me one time that a boss of mine, I had a goatee because uh, I was like 23 working in a business. And I, I was like, I got to try to leave, at least work, look 29. Like, so people can take me somewhat seriously. And he told me, he said, well, you know, basically anybody with facial hair is not to be trusted. They're hiding. People with facial hair have something to hide. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. That felt awesome. I'm giving you some minor things in my life. These are very minor things. What are some modern day forms of favoritism and partiality? Who do we sit in judgment of? How do we feel judged? How do we treat, speak, and think about people? What can cause people to feel mistreated? You know what can is our, our stories that we tell, our spaces that we inhabited, our practices, our positions. Things can, us not even knowing, You know, it's interesting as well. I think sometimes we can read this passage and we can say, well, we should definitely not show, we should uh, not, we should show favor to the poor person who comes in, but we should despise the rich person. We're not called to have partiality for the rich or against the rich. I think the church and as followers of Jesus, we lose the glory that Jesus wants reflected in his body when we discriminate and pass judgment and show favoritism. I was thinking about, uh, I told this story and I, I didn't realize when, when COVID happened, my daughter was graduating from high school and there was a lot of lead up to like, how do we do graduation in this COVID environment? And what we ended up doing was like um, driving trucks through the parking lot and we sat in the back of the pickup truck and then Kelsey jumped out and ran up and walked across the stage and we all took photos and clapped. And then she walked down and got back in the pickup truck and we drove away. Um, that was it. But leading up to it, we were talking with the school and the school was sending out surveys with different parents. And we're like, um, you know, we, we had an inquired, we're like, hey, it'd be cool for the seniors if we could get, get signs that we could put in our yards. And that was something I was emailing the principal about or Sarah was, we were emailing saying, It'd be awesome if we could get these signs for our yards. It was amazing that the principal said this, that's a great idea, but 40% of our students don't have yards. They live in apartments. And they said, we'd like to come up with some things that are addressed and are more appropriate for 100% of the students. And I was like, wow, I loved that principal's response. I loved the way the principal approached that. I didn't see that. I didn't know that. I was wanting, I didn't know that what I was asking for would have been separating, would have been favoritism, would have been partiality until I learned, until I knew. And then I was like, ah, that changed my perspective. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want to bring in a stark example. Um, a couple, about a month ago, Kelsey traveled to Ghana. And um, she got to see all sorts of cool things in Ghana. It was an amazing experience with the University of Utah. Um, one of the things that she did while she was there is um, they, they visited a slave castle. And Ghana was a, was a place in which um, slaves were gathered and sold. And if you could put up the picture, Corky, this is a picture of the slave castle that they went and visited. And... The, the outside walls, and it might be a little hard to see, but there's outside walls and then there's an inside structure. The outside walls is where they would capture, the captured slaves would be before they were put on ships. 
the inside building right there is a church. And it's, it, it's when you look at the picture and you, you think about the concept of the church being a central part of this, it's, it, it's a stark, ugly picture, isn't it? It kind of makes, makes me sick to my stomach to think about. And I was talking to Peter, Dr. Peter Asiyama, who is here. He works with the Vine Institute. He's from Ghana. He's a pastor and a Christian leader here, and he came to the U.S. as a missionary. So he, he told me, he said, Ghana is about 70% Christian today, that's what he said. And he came and he left Ghana to come to the U.S. because he felt like he was called to minister back here. Thank you, Lord, for Peter. And, he, um, and I was asking him about this, and I said, how is it, how, how is it that people become followers of Jesus in Ghana when they see this, when, when this is a picture for them, is, is this a barrier? How isn't this not a barrier to the message of Jesus? And he said this, this was his statement. He said, oh no, he said, these were businessmen with Bibles. That was his exact phrase. These were businessmen with Bibles. And he said, and so in Ghana, we've had to spend a lot of time helping people understand the difference between followers of Jesus and the businessmen using their Bibles. And it was a profound, um, something profound in me that just hit. And we, we, in our times, maybe don't see these stark of pictures. We don't see these stark of examples. Um, maybe in a hundred years, we will. We'll actually look back and we'll see this and not realize we were living in it. But how for us in our times, can the Lord give us discernment that our walking with Jesus, our following our Jesus, what we're holding up is Jesus. Is it the image of Christ? Is it the image of the person of Christ? Is it this God who shows no favoritism, this God who shows no partiality, this God who loves and defends the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, says that throughout the Bible, he's the defender of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, how is it? And God, we have an opportunity in this time more than ever to raise up a picture of Jesus that reflects the glory of who Jesus is. Not, not businessmen with Bibles. In this, we'll keep reading here in James 2. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. James says this. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised? Sorry, the next one, Corky. I'll start again. Uh, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? He's reminding them, he's saying, you've, 
You've dishonored the poor. Don't dishonor the poor. And in fact, he practically, he's giving them a practical reminder. Why are you actually showing favoritism to this group? They're the ones that cause you all the problems. They're bringing you all the lawsuits. They're bringing you all of these things. Can you hear and hear Jesus's words in Matthew 5? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or in Luke, he says, blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying in there. He's saying, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying on a practical level, why are you defending the rich? They're the ones causing the legal and financial issues and, and blasphemy in the name of Christ. And again, in this, this Jewish mindset, the ears that they're hearing, do they hear the words of Zechariah, where he says, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Do they hear the words of God being the defender of the fatherless and the widow and the foreigner? One of the things that we saw, you know, if you all remember the story of Jesus cleansing the temple and Mark 11, when he, Mark records this, um, he says this, uh, he's quoting Jesus. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And it's, it's often thought and understood that part of what Jesus was cleansing was the outer temple. And the outer temple was where they were selling and doing these different things. But the outer temple was supposed to be reserved for the Gentiles to worship. And I think part of what Jesus was really angry about was, hey, you're now showing partial, you're not showing them the character of God by giving access to the Gentiles. You're clogging it up. You're showing partiality. You're driving the Gentiles out. And Jesus is saying, my house is going to be called a house of prayer for all the nations not just in our individual practices, how we relate with individuals, but Jesus was dealing with worship on a community level, on an organizational level. He was saying your organizational practices are keeping the nations from worshiping. Okay, so James turns the corner here in verse eight, and he says this, we'll keep going and I'll speed up just a little bit. If we could put up that next one, sorry, the next one says this, if you really, so James now shifts and he says this, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. There's a lot here. I'm not going to unpack all of it, but I think one of the ideas to draw out of this is this, you know, we oftentimes put hierarchy out there and we justify ourselves based upon, I'm not that bad. I didn't murder. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do these. And we start justifying our own righteousness based upon this this sense of our right and wrong. And James is elevating this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. He's elevating this idea of showing favoritism and partiality should be considered on the same level. It's not loving your neighbor as yourself, just as adultery is not loving your neighbor as yourself, just as murdering is not loving your neighbor as yourself. he's, He's elevating it. And he starts out this idea, this royal law. I love that phrase, this royal law this royal law of love, 
this royal law to love our neighbors as ourselves. Just thinking about what are the, what are the laws that we, we want to hold up and the laws that we want to defend and the laws that we want, we hold up as most important. I think Jesus is calling us to hold up this royal law as a loving our neighbors as ourselves. This idea of, I don't want to, how have I received partiality or favoritism or discrimination? How have I been discriminated against? How have I experienced prejudice? How is this existing? How do I love others? How, how do I want this not to happen in the lives of others? Rich Viotis has this quote. <laughs> and I, I like it, and it's challenging all at the same time, but I want you to think about it. He says this. It is, of course, he put it up. There it is. Yep, that was it. It is really a, is a curious evangelism strategy to despise the people you're trying to convert to Jesus. Isn't it? We think about the ways we think about people, talk about people, act towards people. Um. Oftentimes, this is what it can look like, can't it? Partiality, how we think, how we speak, how we act. So James 2, this section we're going to conclude now, starting in verse 12. I'll keep going. It says this, uh, it's the, the next verse, chapter, uh, verse 12. Speak and act as those. So, so here he says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You can leave that up for a minute, Perky. Thanks. Boy, there's a lot here. There's a lot that James says. He's like this vitamin. He's like concentrated juice. Like you just need a scoop and you throw it in and you're like, whoa, what is he saying in here, right? There's a lot that we could unpack. But he's, he's saying, how do we speak and act as those who are going to be judged by a law that gives freedom? Freedom, freedom, freedom. How in our speaking and our acting and in our thinking and our thoughts towards others are we thinking about their freedom, their life, them experiencing all that God has for them? And then he goes on to say this. And this is also, you think about the echoing of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Man, I want to receive mercy, don't you? I want to receive mercy. And he says, mercy trans over judgment. We're reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 7. He says this, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we've heard the parable that Jesus tells of the, of the servant who owns, let's just say a million dollars and begs for mercy and receives mercy and turns around to the guy who owes him a thousand bucks and throws him in jail and says, no. And Jesus says, that's not how you should have had mercy on your fellow servants, just as I had mercy on you. So as we're closing today, I, wanna, I want us to think about this, um, these words of James. And I want to 
I want us to think about this concept that the Lord is not partial against you. The Lord is not partial against you. And I think whatever background we're from, wherever we come from, a religious background, a cultural background, an ethnic background, we, we have this sense of favored and unfavored people. And when you do this, you're now an unfavored person in this community. When you do this, when you do that, and all of a sudden we can feel like, man, we are walking around as these, man, God, I, I'm not living up to some other standard. I'm not meeting some other standard. I'm not favored in this community. I'm not favored this way. And the Lord wants to remind us that he looks on the heart. He doesn't receive the face. He doesn't receive the label. He doesn't receive. He looks on the heart of each one of us. He's not partial. To each one of us, he has shown mercy. To me, he has shown mercy. To you, he has shown mercy. He is, to the person that you may think as an enemy, he has shown mercy. He has shown mercy. He has shown mercy. And James is here. He's providing us this diagnostic tool in, chapter, in this chapter two, a way in which we can help us evaluate both our own hearts. Lord, do I, do I feel like the poor person who's put to the back, who's put to the side, and the Lord wants today to call you up and say, no, no, I don't look, I don't, I don't work that way. I'm, I don't work like businessmen with Bibles. That's not how I work. I want you to receive mercy. I want you to receive your full identity. I want to call you up. For us, in how we relate with others, in how we think about others, it starts there. It starts in how do I think about someone else? What is my view of God's perspective of someone else? How do I think? speak because our our thoughts then become our words don't they and our words become our actions so lord know my heart know my thoughts know the wicked ways within me and cleanse me james reminds us these in how we treat speak and think about people amen it all he also reminds us of how he thinks and speaks and wants to treat us and you and me. Mercy, his mercy triumphs over justice. Amen. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll, uh, we'll end. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your ways are not our ways. Your, your culture is different than the culture around us. It's different than the culture we're raised in. It's different than the culture that we know, Lord. You come with a different culture. And Lord, would you, would you work that in our hearts and in our lives? Lord, you desire that your church would, be, would reflect the true glory of Jesus. And I pray, Father, for that, for our church, our community here, that we would have a kingdom culture, that we would be a place that reflects the glory of Jesus in our lives, in the way we think and speak and act, that we could reflect the person of Jesus. And Lord, let this be a place that's known as a place of freedom and a place of mercy. 
that we would be known as people of mercy and freedom who live by your royal law. In Jesus' name. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for ways in which we've not reflected your glory properly. Forgive us for ways in which our thoughts and our speech and our actions have not been in alignment with your heart. Lord, cleanse us. Let us be a place that that your glory is known. Your glory is known by the love that we have for others. Your glory is known by the freedom and the mercy that people receive in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.